0: Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast. I'm your host, Arjun. Now, usually we would have my co-host, Kyle, alongside me, but due to extenuating circumstances this week, it's just going to be me. This is episode 18, and we'll be talking all things Arsenal, Premier League, and Champions League. As always, this podcast is brought to you by your party station, Z89, and be sure to drop a follow on our Twitter, at gggoonerpod. Now, starting with Arsenal this week, we took on Burnley on the weekend, and the result really wasn't what we wanted. It ended 1-1 um, in favor of neither side. It, it really was a stalemate, but the main thing I wanted to touch on here was that it this game really mirrors the match we had against Wolves back in January, um, back in February, pardon me, where we played a fantastic first half, just chances galore. We had 59% of the possession through the whole game, 15 total shots. But just we just could not finish our chances. Aubameyang opened the scoring for us in the first minute. Nice to see him on the score sheet being consistent, as he does. But the real issue here was that Arsenal beat ourselves again. I mean, the goal that we gave to Burnley was Granit Xhaka literally kicking the ball into Chris Wood, and it went into the back of the net for Burnley. So everything that I saw about that, I mean, on this podcast, me and my co-host Kyle, we've both lambasted Xhaka before he started having a really, really good run of form. And it's because of moments like this, because of these boneheaded mistakes. But a lot of the stuff I saw on Twitter was, you know, people saying it might have been on Leno because he was the one who passed it to Xhaka at the top of the box. I don't think it's on Leno because Xhaka is one to check in and receive those balls. And we do play out from the back a lot. This one's on Xhaka fully. I mean, you either clear the ball or you look up before you pass so at halftime it the score was 1-1 and the score ended 1-1 but one other thing that I wanted to talk about was VAR I mean we very clearly should have had a penalty Arsenal should have the ball struck a Burnley player on the hand Nico Pepe was trying to get past him and the hand was out he the hand was held out he the ball hit the Burnley player on the hand and there was no penalty given. I mean, it's we've seen a multitude of handball decisions go in either direction in the Premier League recently, and there's just absolutely no consistency. We've had our gripes about VAR and its consistency, and we should have had a penalty, and that could have brought us the win, but I don't know if we deserved it. I mean, we had a scramble at the very end where Ceballos hit the post, and we just could not get the ball in the back of the net, and it's a very disappointing result, because we played really well in the first half, but the second half we looked flat. And it's a disappointing result because we had just beaten Leicester last week, 3-1. And they're a very good side. They're third in the Premier League right now. And to not come away with a win in this one is disappointing. The lineup was interesting. Willian actually got the assist to Aubameyang. He started the game and assisted Aubameyang. No Smith-Rowe for this one. And... He's getting some rest. He's, he's been hurt a little bit. And Smithrow, as we've said, has been the catalyst for our creativity. Saka started this one. Odegaard as well. Thomas and jock are best pivot. And interestingly enough, Callum Chambers started at right back. Um, neither um, Cedric was not in the squad. Bellerin was on the bench but didn't play. It's nice to see Chambers back playing. He is a good crosser of the ball at that right back position. But I do think Cedric is still our best right back. It'll be interesting to see where our lineup goes for our match this Thursday against Olympiacos, which we'll have a preview later. But a disappointing result in the Premier League, to say the least. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, United won the, the Manchester Derby. They ended Manchester City's 21-game win streak. And I've got to say, City, this was the worst they played all season. They looked extremely poor, really flat throughout the whole game. And I've got to credit United. They played a very good match. They scored a penalty in the first minute through Bruno Fernandez. Gabriel Jesus fouled a United player in the box within a minute. And from then, I was very surprised. I thought City would come back and win the match, but they weren't able to. And Luke Shaw, who's on a fantastic run of form currently, he's playing really well, probably playing like the best left back in the league right now. He scored the dagger in the 50th minute and and gave them gave United a great win great Manchester Derby win. City dominated possession, dominated shots, but United just, they had the right game plan. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the manager of United, had a good game plan for that one, and it'll be, it's nice confidence for United to get this one, but the bad news for them is City bounced back today. They won 5-2 over Southampton with Mares and De Bruyne, both netting braces, so City are 14 points clear now. United do have a game in hand, so they can cut that gap to 11. But even despite the play of United beating City, City's 21-game win streak ending, I think Manchester City still have the title wrapped up. There's only 10 matches left, 9 for City, actually. And I don't see United closing this gap. I don't see Leicester closing this gap. I don't see Chelsea closing this gap. Even though Chelsea, going over to Chelsea, they beat Everton 2-0. They continue their hot play under Thomas Tuchel, and they haven't lost in 11 matches since Tuchel became the manager, but that's eight wins and three draws in all competitions. But City, they won 21 straight before losing to United, and they won another one today, a 5-2 a convincing win over Southampton. City have it wrapped up. I think they've had it wrapped up ever since, really, Liverpool started on their poor run of form. I don't think United have enough to close this gap. But back to Chelsea, Tuchel has really seemed to figure it out for Chelsea. I mean, he's what I'm from what I'm seeing, the team selection isn't really favored by the fans because you see Marco Alonso playing over Chilwell, Mason Mount didn't play against didn't start against Everton. Um Havertz played in the middle with Werner on the wing, but they still came came out on top against a good Everton side. And another gripe I'm seeing especially from US Americans is that Kristen Pulisic, he hasn't played that much under Tuchel, despite Tuchel and Pulisic having a rapport. They both were together at Dortmund. So it really is confusing to me why Pulisic isn't playing as much, but if it isn't broke, don't fix it. I I certainly understand that. But Chelsea, they've been very impressive. They're up to fourth. And elsewhere in the Premier League, looking at the table... United are a point clear of Leicester, and Leicester are three points clear of Chelsea. West Ham remain in fifth with a game in hand on Chelsea. They could leapfrog Chelsea and go into fourth. Everton's loss against Chelsea means they are in sixth. Tottenham, Liverpool, Villa, and Arsenal round out the top ten. Now, in the Champions League, a fantastic week of Champions League action, uh, this Tuesday and Wednesday, this is being recorded on Wednesday night, We'll start with Tuesday's games, and we'll start with Juventus versus Porto. That was one of the best games I've seen in a long time. It had absolutely everything. Porto had the upper hand coming into it. They won the first like two one, but Marcelo, pardon me, but uh, Chiesa, for Juventus, his away goal against Porto in the first leg, gave them gave them hope. Federico Chiesa. So Juventus had hope, and going into this one. I thought Juventus would take it, because if you remember two years ago, when Atletico Madrid defeated Juventus three um, or 2-0 in the first leg, Ronaldo came up with a hat-trick in the second leg and knocked out Atletico Madrid. I thought Ronaldo would come up big in this one. As we'll see later, he, he disappeared, really. He was nowhere to be seen. So Porto struck first through a Sergio Oliveira pen. Remember that name for later. That brought Porto up to 3-1 on aggregate as it got them an away goal. This game was played in Turin at the Juventus Stadium. So Juventus now, their situation is they need two goals to send it to extra time. So Chiesa, who was the star of this Juve team in this tie, he scored in the 49th minute, scored a beauty. And now Juventus need one more goal to send it to extra time. And five minutes after Chiesa scores that first goal, there's a little bit of controversy with... um, the Porto team. Now, uh, the whistle is blown by the referee and Medi Toremi of Porto picks up the ball and punts it to the opposite side of the field. The Juve players all rush to the referee begging for a yellow card. Toremi had already been booked in this one. The referee gives Toremi a second yellow and now Porto are down to 10 men. Now, I thought that was a terrible call because you just can't go, you can't give a second yellow for dissent, in my opinion. If it's a first yellow, that's completely fine. But a second yellow for something as small as that in a match as big as this, it didn't make sense to me. And after the red card, Porto really... I thought they were done and dusted. Chiesa scored again 10 minutes after the red. So now the aggregate is 3-3, and both teams have the same amount of away goals, meaning that if the... Tie ends like this, it's heading to extra time. So here I'm thinking Porto are done and dusted. They're a man down. They need to hold off Juve for about half an hour more to even get it to extra time. Somehow they're able to do that and send it there. Juventus, Juventus in extra time couldn't score either. They couldn't score for the first 25 minutes. And Sergio Oliveira, this player who scored the penalty for Porto, has a moment of magic on a free kick and just punches it under the wall, beats Wojciech Szczesny in goal, and Porto now lead 4-3 on aggregate, and they've got two away goals, meaning Juventus now need two goals in five minutes to go through. If they get one goal, it's going to tie on aggregate, and Porto will win on away goals. That's exactly what happens. Adrian Rabio scores two minutes later for Juventus. There's another twist in this one. Watching this game live was a complete roller coaster of emotions. Like I said, this match had absolutely everything. Rabio scored in the 117th minute, and there was a mad scramble in the last three minutes for Juventus to try and score another and go on. Now, going back to the Oliveira free kick, you may wonder, it got under the wall. It was from about 30 yards out. A lot of the discourse around that was the wall was really poor for Juventus. It broke up, and the main thing that people were focusing on was Ronaldo jumped, turned around, as he was jumping, and um, the ball went through his legs. And with that, Chesney was screened. He could not see the ball. That's why he got through him. And that's just that's just the cherry on top, because I thought Ronaldo would have an amazing game and send Juve through against a team in Porto, which is a rival to Ronaldo's boyhood club Sporting. sporting. I really thought Ronaldo would come up big in this one, and he just did not. So Porto's heroics got them through to the final eight. They ended up winning the tie. The aggregate was 4-4. They won on away goals. And their hero was their goalkeeper, Agustin Marchesín out of Argentina. Juventus had 70% of the possession through this one, 31 shots, and 13 on target. If you watch the game, Marchesín was absolutely everywhere. He was fantastic all-game. In goal. He saved a point-blank header from Morata. He had some great punches, some great decisions, and he's really the reason why Porto are going through him and Sergio Oliveira. So Porto pull off a huge upset, knocking the old lady out of the Champions League, and the next matchup on Tuesday was Sevilla versus Dortmund. Dortmund won the first leg 3-2 away, and Erling in in this Tuesday match was just incredible. He scored two goals, and now he's scored twenty Champions League goals in fourteen games, and he's the youngest to get to twenty Champions League goals. He's ridiculous. Him and Mbappe are the future. My co-host Kyle is a huge, huge Holland fan, as am I. Uh, he was originally going to rant for minutes and minutes about Holland, probably, but I mean, there's not any, there's nothing you can say more about Erling Holland that we don't already know. There was an interesting moment in this one um, with a penalty. Holland um, had a penalty saved by Sevilla, but VAR ruled that the keeper was off the line. So Holland had to retake the penalty, and he scored it, and then taunted the, v- the Sevilla uh, keeper after. He scored the goal and ran right up to the Sevilla keeper and yelled in his face. And then ran off as Sevilla players chased him, and Holland celebrated. And I mean, that's just the mind of a twenty-year-old with with Holland. The, the his emotions, I think, got a little bit the best of him. But it, I mean, for the entertainment factor, Holland certainly brings that to the table. Sevilla were able to get two goals back late, but it wasn't enough. The game ended two-two, and Dortmund were through on aggregate five-four. Over to today's matches, Liverpool-Leipzig. This one was probably the least eventful match of all of them. Liverpool are through. They won both legs 2-0. Not much to talk about in this one. This game went pretty much exactly like the first game. Salah and Mane both scored about five minutes apart from each other in the first leg and the second leg. Leipzig made a deep run in the Champions League last year, and now they're stopped by a Liverpool team very much not on form. They've lost six in a row in the Premier League at Anfield. And bear in mind, this game was not at Anfield due to COVID. This game was in Hungary at the Puskas Arena in Budapest. So Liverpool are moving on. It's very interesting to see how Liverpool are playing well against Leipzig in the Champions League, but they've just been awful in the Premier League compared to their last season. So the final game of this Champions League week is Barcelona PSG. The match ended 1-1. It was a very good game despite the result. PSG won the first leg in Barcelona 4-1, making it really nearly impossible for Barcelona to pull off, you know, a remontada part two, a repeat of the 2017 amazing 6-1 comeback that Barcelona had. PSG scored the opener on a penalty through Kylian Mbappe, of course, on a very suspect penalty call, in my opinion. VAR gave PSG a penalty, and I... I think that may have decided it because, as I'll say later, Barcelona dominated this first half completely. Lionel Messi, though, answered with one of the best goals of his career. He uh, picked up the ball about 30 yards out, cut onto his left foot, and fired an absolute bullet past Keylor Navas from 25 yards out into the top corner. He was fantastic in, in the first half, but Messi had a penalty saved you know, at the end of the first half. And this that was the moment when you really sensed that this comeback wasn't meant to be. As Barcelona were extremely unlucky to not have scored at least three goals in that first half. They looked extremely threatening. They had the majority of possession in the second half and they but they just could not make a breakthrough. They had 73% of the total possession, but Barcelona didn't have enough. And what's scary about this PSG team is that they didn't play very well today, at all. Their defense looked really porous, their attack was non-existent, which I understand, if you're up 4-1 in your first leg, you're going to play defensive in the second leg. But this PSG team played both legs without Neymar, one of the best players in the world. As PSG move on to the quarterfinals, the last eight, we'll have to see how Neymar is progressing back from his injury, and what he brings to this team in the last eight. PSG right now are very have a very good chance to win this entire competition, to break their curse and win this entire competition. Going back to Barcelona, I firmly believe that this team would probably be moving on to the last eight if they did not have Ronald Koeman as a manager. Ronald Koeman was poor at Everton, and if he was poor there in the Premier League, I don't know what made the Barcelona board think he would be any better managing one of the biggest clubs in the history of the world. That's the truth, and I think Ronald Koeman Isn't Barcelona caliber? He never was. The signing perplexed me. And even with Barcelona making a a push for La Liga, the title, they're coming back into the title picture. I don't think Kuman is good enough to manage this team. Overall storylines from the Champions League, Messi and Ronaldo are not in the quarterfinals for the first time since 2005. Neither of that neither Messi or Ronaldo are not in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And Ronaldo and Messi, two of the best Champions League players ever, if not the two best Champions League players ever. And Kyle and I, we talked about it after the first legs. With the amazing performances of Holland and Mbappe, Holland getting a goal and an assist. Mbappe scoring a hat-trick at Camp New and adding on another one in the second leg. And Holland as well, adding on two more in the second leg. Is the torch being passed from Messi and Ronaldo to Holland and Mbappe? Time will tell, and the progression of Dortmund and PSG in this competition and how much of a role Mbappe and Holland have, respectively, will play a role. But, I mean, Messi and Ronaldo are reaching the twilights of their careers, and Holland and Mbappe are where Messi and Ronaldo were in 2005. So, I mean... We are in for an amazing next ten or fifteen years of football with these two. That's there's no doubt about that. And Messi and Ronaldo, as they're ushered out, with Holland and Mbappe being ushered in, I'm just as excited for them too. Even with Messi being my favorite player of all time and with the Messi and Ronaldo discourse being so interesting, the Holland and Mbappe discourse is going to be just as fun to watch and those two players are going to be the future of this sport. So the teams moving on to the last eight are Porto, Borussia Dortmund, Liverpool, and Paris Saint-Germain. Next week's slate is Real Madrid. They play Atalanta at home. They're up on aggregate 1-0. They got an away goal. City play Mönchengladbach in Puskas Arena in Hungary due to COVID restrictions. This is City's home game. They're up on aggregate 2-0. So it's going to be tough for Borussia Mönchengladbach to get back into this one. Bayern play Lazio at home. They're up 4-1. They've got four away goals. And Chelsea host Atletico Madrid. That'll be the the one to watch. That'll be the most interesting tie by far, I think, because Chelsea got an away goal at Atletico in Madrid, and Chelsea will host uh, Madrid at Stamford Bridge and look to move on to the last eight. We'll have all the coverage next week of those four games right here on this podcast in next week's episode. Now, over to the Europa League uh, and Arsenal's match against Olympiacos tomorrow. Arsenal, I mean, Olympiacos has been the ghost that Arsenal couldn't get past last year. They lost to them in the round of 32 last year. So my take on this one is we'll see tomorrow, based on the lineup, what Arteta is prioritizing. The Champions League, pardon me, the Europa League or the Premier League? I think, I personally think we need to put all our chips into the the Europa League, because right now we're in 10th place, and it's looking heavily unlikely we'll make a push for even top six, I think. We're eight points back of the top six, and it's going to be really tough to even get back into the Europa League through the Premier League table. But with that being said, we've got a huge match this Sunday against Tottenham. More on that later, but... Regardless, Arteta's priorities tomorrow will be shown through his lineup. And I think Arteta also has the same mentality. So I think the lineup tomorrow is going to be our classic classic 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. We can really shift into either at any time. But the goalkeeper will be Leno. I think Bellerin gets the start at right-back. I think Holding and I think Marie will get the start at center back. Marie has been really good recently, and Holding has been our mainstay at that, at that center back position. Kieran Tierney will play left back, and I think we'll go Xhaka and Partey again as the pivot, I think as those two center defensive midfielders. There are two best, and they've had four or five days of rest since Burnley, since the Burnley match, so they'll be fit. I think Odegaard will start in this one. I don't think Smith Rowe will get it, as he's still working his way back from injury, from fitness. Odegaard will start at that center attacking mid position. And I think Sokka plays out on the right side, and I think Pepe will play out on the left. I wouldn't be surprised if those were swapped. I think Sokka and Pepe will be the wingers, and I think Aubameyang will play up top. Again, wouldn't be surprised if Aubameyang came to the left. We dropped Pepe. And we put Lacazette up top because Lacazette has been really good in the Europa League. So with the score predictions, this is the away leg. Uh, We are going to Athens for this one. So I'm going to say 2-1 Arsenal. I think Saka and Alba will get a goal each. Kyle has generously given me a score prediction through text. He says 3-2 Arsenal with Saka getting a brace. So with Europa League out of the way, we've got the North London derby this Sunday a huge match against Tottenham, the battle for North London. That will play into the lineup decisions that Arteta makes. But you can hear all about that. We've got a full North London London Derby preview coming out soon with a special guest, Spurs fan Oscar Offerman. He'll talk us through his club. We'll talk you through our club arsenal, as always. And that will be a full preview, a full, very long, one-hour preview that we'll have for you right here on... Uh, the Going Going Gooner podcast. And we're excited to get that out to you because obviously Tottenham Arsenal is one of the biggest rivalries in England, in the world, in in football. So we had a lot of fun chatting. We did a combined 11 for which players we think would make it into a combined 11 from both teams. And we did our requisite score predictions and talked about both teams' forms and um, both teams' forms in North London derbies and in the Premier League and Europa League, and how that will play into this matchup. So that's been all from me, Arjun. Hopefully this is the only week that I'll be without my co-host, Kyle. But thank you all for listening. Be sure to drop a follow at GGGoonerPod on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.